Welcome to the Untold Story podcast. Joe and I get to interview Andreas Sauter from Germany today. And it's a really exciting story about how he came to Christ. Yeah, we get to hear about how a German pilot turned Porsche consultant gets an awakening from God and becomes a Christian, and then how God leads him to start his ministry, Elijah 21. So we're so happy, Andreas, to have you on the show today. Hello. We got to meet you. Hi, we got to meet you years ago, but then re- get acquainted just this last February in Hawaii. And it was such a great time getting to know you and hear about your ministry. And now we are so excited that all the way from Germany, you're on the podcast and that we can really hear what God's done in your life. So we'd love to start just by hearing how you came to know Christ. All right, wonderful. First of all, I would like to say hello to everybody from Germany. Uh, My story starts basically being a little boy. Uh, I was raised in a a family with a very believing grandmother uh, in a Catholic family. And my parents were working very hard in a hotel and restaurant that my grandmother and father built up. And it was all family members working there. And they had so much work that we barely had any family life. So being in that situation, we were pretty much forced to go to church as small children. And I was baptized in in the Catholic Church, but everything was because I had to. I was forced to go. So there was already as a child in my heart, there was a huge objection against everything that had to do with, with the church. You know, as a small child, there were two things I really enjoyed. And one was a slot car racing track, like a track. You put the tracks together, stick them together, and you have little race cars running around that track with two controllers. And we love to do that. So um, basically, we got that from my uncle. And from our uncles, it was, it was very classic old track with a, a, a Carrera 6. It's a Porsche Carrera 6 uh, uh, from 1966. Oh, yeah. And my brother, he had a Ferrari. So we were always battling each other. And that's when, as a small child, my heart began to really be a fan of Porsche cars. And on the oh, other yeah. hand... I was building plastic models. I think you call them airfix models. I'm not quite sure, but they're like kits that you glue together and then you paint them and you put them on your sideboard. So I used to love it. And I remember that in one Christmas, my mother bought me a German tornado, Luftwaffe tornado. So uh, that really fascinated me. And so growing up, going to church and to school, actually, I thought, okay, what are my big wishes for for my career? What do I want to do after school? What do I want to do for a living? And um, I thought the first thing I would love to do is to fly one of those fighters. And uh, Mm -hmm. the fighters uh, that I built together as a small child, dreaming of being part of the crew in the cockpit and flying one of these things. So I tried to do that. So after after, uh, my time in school, I applied. Um, for being an air crew in the German Air Force. And actually, it was a very hard screening and testing environment. And I made it all through, basically. And I was appointed to get trained as a weapon system officer. That's basically in a, a dual cockpit 
uh, environment. It's the backseater. In the US, you fly, you used to fly Phantoms back then. Now you have F-15Es. So the guy in the back, he does uh, tactics and weapons and navigation and, 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 and information and all of that. So that was what I was selected to do. So I went through all the training and that training actually led me to the US. So that's why I in the early days, I already had, as a young man, I had a strong connection to the United States because I was trained by the U.S. Air Force. That's done for all Luftwaffe air crews that fly fast fighters. They are trained by the U.S. Air Force. I went through my basic flying training in Randolph Air Force Base in San Antonio, Texas, and I graduated there together with Americans and, and Italians and Dutch people because it's it's NATO joint training and um and I, I so i wear u.s navigator wings and i came back and went through the whole flying career in the luftwaffe and at the end i ended up actually flying exactly that airplane i used to clue together as a small child the one that my mother gave oh, me so cool. as a present for for christmas so i ended uh, up flying exactly that airplane we only had like 42 of them i think so uh that was wonderful and i had this full-blown military flying aviation air force career with all the exercises and all the deployments and and all the excitement and adventure behind it and it, it was wonderful and back then you know i i was a i was very rational i was very much interested in politics and philosophy. I liked Immanuel Kant. And when I looked at nature and I looked outside, I realized just looking at the perfection of what surrounds me, that there has to be a creator. But mm -hmm. it felt like, well, if there is, I don't know him. And yeah. I didn't have a pull towards him or an interest. So I was living a life without God, but actually thinking he must be there. But obviously, I don't know where or who he is. So that's how I kind of became a young officer and then senior officer. And in the German Air Force, if you fly fast fighters, basically you end with 41. So the job contract assignment ends with 41 because of physical constraints. You know, you retire or stop flying usually with that age limit. And what I did afterwards, I did a, a um, I made a master's degree in aeronautical science, and then I asked myself, okay, now this is over. It was a big dream for me. I had lots of fun, good friends, and a great career in the Air Force. So what am I going to do? So that second dream in from my slot car track started to pop up, and I thought, how am I going to make it to Porsche, the car company? And it didn't reveal in the first place. Yeah. After some research, I realized, hey, you know, they have a consulting and it's a very successful consulting. It is was rated to be the best consulting in, in, in Germany, like um, a study or survey done uh, uh, from major big German industry companies that surveyed what consultant companies bring the best results and uh, mm -hmm. the best projects and it's a, it's a small consulting now it's about 600 people but it's it, they won like three times in a row uh, against the big uh, players on on that market and so it's a very fine and unique company and they were looking actually for consultants in from an aerospace background and um, so that was my entry to Porsche and my second dream for my career now right 
before I actually retired about two or three years, I think two years before, I had to lead a campaign where we were going with the Luftwaffe to South Africa. And I was actually preparing and organizing that live firing campaign. And while I was in South Africa, I wanted to go and see white sharks in, in, and do the cage diving to see white sharks being in the water. And uh, wow. due to a connection in my team, I was in touch or got in contact with a person who is probably the most recognized and well-known white shark expert of South Africa. And um, I asked him and he said, you know what, I have a cage on my boat and I can take you out. So it sounds like there's a theme in your life. You like fast things and you like danger <laughs> and you like adventure. Well, I always kind of had. You know? Yeah, That's what it seems like yeah I always I, I always had a fascination for that. And uh, and uh, I always, yeah, I always was attracted to that, to be quite honest. Yeah. So tell us about the boat adventure. So so what happened is that this guy, he, he took me out and he said, we're going to drive to Seal Island, which is an island in the bay of Cape Town, you know, and he said, before we put the cage in the water, and it's not going to take a long time until the first, first white sharks show up, uh, I want you to see um, Seal Island. And I'm like, well, okay. So we drove there. He, you know, pulled the power and, and shut the boat down. And we were just riding from the Seal Island. And it was like a perfect day. I saw the like a golden South African sun. I don't know how many thousand seals were on that island playing in the in the waves and it was like a perfect perfect scenery and we were standing there completely silent and I was just looking and enjoying seeing seal island and all of a sudden it was a sensation of a peace coming and flowing through me that I never had before experienced ever it was so intense that I was about to lose control and I was about to just cry like massively. So it it was mm. it touched the most deepest inner of myself, and the highest or one of very very important values or things you get trained in military aviation is control yourself because in one of those cockpits you have to make sure that emotions do not control what you're doing. Yeah, um, and you can have them, but. Better is when you when you have the wheels on the ground. You know you can go to the bar and cry, but not in the cockpit. Yeah, so you you train that yeah. uh, level of self control. And here I am, this guy who uh, to whom self control is such a high value, about to lose his absolute control, starting to cry in front of this guy somewhere on a sunny day mm. at Seal Island, and uh, <laughs> and this really touched me and. That peace that rushed through me, it stayed there. It stayed there the entire day. It didn't stop. It didn't stop because when I moved to the back of the boat or when I stopped looking at sea line, it stayed there the entire day to include, you know, I saw the sharks and in the cage, out the cage, driving back, every, it stayed there. And when I came back, colleagues approached me and said, hey, how was it? I wasn't even able to talk. So I had to go to my hotel room and I fell into my bed and I had a, a, a sleep. It was the world's best sleep ever. Yeah. And so I woke up the next morning and it was gone. And oh, it wow. was not there anymore. And, and I was completely in awe of that experience. And I thought, what was that? 
And at a certain point, I, I, I ticked it off as being, hey, the little kid from Bavaria just had like a nature flash. You know, that was just too much South African beauty for me or something like that. So I didn't know how to <laughs> name it or what it was, but I ticked it off as an extraordinary experience in nature. Well, what happened is it took another two years when um, when my wing that I flew in um, got closed and I had to move to the south of Germany uh, to start uh, uh, my uh, last time of my flying career in, in, in the south of Germany. And when I did that move, actually, it was very exhausting. And I decided to go to uh, North Italy into a wellness uh, hotel to just relax and recover from the exhausting hmm. relocation and moving to, to another place. So and there I met two people on the street because they had the same dog like I had, you know, and I started to talk to them. And we ended up talking an hour on the street, realizing that this conversation is meant to happen. So we had a deep dive oh. that was so amazing that we were both standing on the street in that North Italian town saying, what, why is this is a unique conversation? So where are you from? And they said, well, we're from Augsburg. And I'm like, wow, I just moved there. And uh, let's... let's swap numbers and and let's you know see and meet maybe in Oxford. so we became friends and what i didn't know is they were christians and they were believing they had a lot of faith and wow. and i didn't know well what happened is that they yeah. we started to have a friendship and whenever we walked with a dog or went outside to do something or we met we discussed and the guy that from the couple he always thought okay you know here's this military guy what am i talking to him so so he thought it might be interesting for me to talk about all the wars and crises in the world and we ended up that he was always discussing and uh, uh, coming from the gospel and i came always from a rational point of view from politics and we ended up very quickly the question yeah. okay how can there be wars if there's god and at one point, he, he, he explained to me his opinion and view on that. But he said, you know what, Andreas, I have a friend. He studied theology and he has a PhD. And he's leading a 24-7 house of prayer in Augsburg. Actually, I didn't even know we had that in Augsburg. And he said, you know, he's a really, he's probably, I would say today, he's the one of the most recognized speakers. Uh, and he has the most successful podcast on Christian faith in German speaking Europe, I think. And he's, he's very uh, well known yeah. speaker here in, in Germany. And he, they were friends. And he said, you know, the guy did a podcast just on that topic. So I was like, Oh, interesting. And, and he sent it to me. Now, listening to that podcast, I realized this guy is actually challenging my positions. And Hmm. So yeah. uh, I realized that's a smart guy. And, uh, you know, he came, of course, also as a theologian uh, from the gospel. But I liked the way he explained and I understood and I was able to connect somehow. So I started to be interested in other topics. This person, his name is Dr. Johannes Hadl, he, what he's talking about. So I started to listen to those podcasts. And at a certain point, I thought, well, you know, it would be pretty interesting to talk to that guy in a discussion or to exchange thoughts. So why mm -hmm. listen to a podcast if the guy is a you know next door neighbor, so to say, in, in my same, same town? You know, <laughs> so it. why not meet him? So yeah. I kind of left it there, but at a certain point, and that was in the August of uh, two thousand and ten, I think. Now something really was. I knew they meet Thursdays. Yeah, and they meet in, in a place, in a church, actually, 
in the south of my town and I knew that they are recording those podcasts. So here I am on a Thursday. I, I flew twice that day and I came home from work and I still had time and it was like pulling me. It was like I had to go. So I came home, threw off my flight suit, no time to shower, jeans on, t-shirt on, boom, here I am driving to that church. Some It really pulled me towards that. I had to go. I wanted to listen to it live today. So here I am walking up the stairs to that church, pretty ugly church from the 70s, nothing beautiful, you know. And, and I open up those church doors and I feel the same peace that was mm-hmm. on that motorboat in South Africa, in Rondo Seal Island. Wow. And I'm standing in that in those doors, and it's 200 people in that church. And I'm like, what is here that was on that motorboat that was in front of Seal Island? What is that? It was so thick. You were, I, I, I had a sensation of you can swim through it. It was full of it. The whole That's church so was full of it. And it was 200 people. And I looked around, and they were all beautiful. And I, and I realized... Well, they're not physically beautiful, but somehow I want to invite them to my a barbecue. I want to be friends with them, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I don't even know them. So I was totally confused, and I went into to the last bench of that church and thought, oh, I wonder when the podcast start, yeah? And then they started to work with a band, and I'm like, oh, no, I have to wait another hour. So I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing the next hour, yeah? Have you have you ever been to that before? Have you ever been in a church? Yes, service? of course. As a child, always for Christmas, yeah. but it was a cultural thing. It had it had like for me, it was like um, it was nothing. I didn't have a heart connection or not an emotional connection. It was more yeah. a cultural ritual, you know. But here I am sure. in this church, yeah. realizing something is here that I don't know, and. Of course, we were singing, but I didn't, uh, and, and we were worshiping before, but it was, I was not in the mood of worshiping. You know, I thought I'm going to listen to a podcast. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, what happened is I sat in the last bench and I said, okay, one hour of worship probably, or maybe 30 minutes. I don't know. So my, my thoughts wandered away. <laughs> and actually I ended up in saying some words in my heart and the words were super arrogant. And uh, uh, what I said, what I said in my heart was, hey, they all talk about God here. If you exist, you have to show up now because the imagination thing doesn't work for me. Okay. They say you're real. Okay, real. Let's do the real thing. Show up now. Uh, If you don't show up, it's also fine. It was a cool day with a cool podcast. And I had not finished (laughs) the thought in the sentence and I started to cry. Mm. But the interesting part was, it was not an emotional event. Zero. I was still in the debriefing. I flew two times, I think even air to air. Some, you know, I was, I was full up in the debriefing mentally still. Yeah. Full in numbers and, 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 and technical stuff. And it was zero emotional. And it was just a physical reaction. I was standing there having my arms crossed, looking down on me and tears are just running down. And it's like, wow. You know, now for a guy trained mm-hmm. to control his emotions, that was a massive experience. But I was so confident, I was so confident that my self-control button, you know, my emergency stop button in, in my inner soul, it does it it works. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna stop this. Yeah. And 
and I realized it doesn't work anymore. So I cannot stop it. And I cried for like 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I think I, I didn't check the time, but I had a feeling of after 45 minutes, I said, wow, welcome. Who are you? Yeah. Wow. And so this is how I found Jesus. And at that moment of time, I fell in love with him. And I thought it was a singular event. But I had to go every Thursday because I needed to have that sensation of that Holy Spirit that I called whatever. I always called it South Africa in the beginning. I need my South Africa again. I knew then that this is Holy <laughs> Spirit. And, and I had to go whenever I had the chance to. And then I just became a guy of prayer and gave my heart to Jesus. So that's basically how, how it happened. That's so wonderful. I love that story. And this thing, as a military aviator, I expected was that Jesus comes in my life in, in a way like that. So that was the least thing I expected, to be quite honest. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like God was stripping you of the idea that you're in control, right? Because... That was your training since you were a pilot and that was what you knew. And then all of a sudden God says, no, actually, um, I'm in control. I can control your body. I can make you cry well, that, you know, it felt, <laughs> to show you that I'm yeah, powerful. It felt like he's pushing one of the most sensitive buttons from Andreas, you know, um, just to make a point, yeah. just to show well, up. Because I, I came there with yeah. that huge arrogance of saying, okay, come on, show up. And he said, okay, let me just push one button, okay? Mm -hmm. Oops. <laughs> well, he pushed the button on the boat yeah. too, right? Yeah, he started crying yeah. The but back then I didn't know what it is. But that probably was probably part of the yeah. preparation. But having said so, is it was he knew exactly which one to push. Which one is the most impressive one yeah. for Andreas? Yeah, Or one of the... Impressive ones. Let's put it that way. I I, I bet he has a, a lot more impressive ones. Yeah, but uh, but back then I didn't. I did, yeah. Back then I didn't know that. You know, for back then it was one of my most sensitive points. You know that because I trained for it such a long time to be able to control emotions. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and so he touches exactly that one, the self control button. Yeah, and that yeah. was so massive as an experience for me that it didn't take very long where I gave up and said, wow, who are you? Yeah. Mm. So that concludes episode one of Andreas's interview. We thought his personal story was so inspiring. It's really cool how Andreas learned to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit and just continue to say yes. Yeah. We hope you found it encouraging too. Next episode, we'll hear about how the Holy Spirit continued to lead Andreas to start a ministry called Elijah 21 through a dream and then a series of events that led him to work with refugees living in Germany. Yeah, and it's something he never saw coming to work with refugees in Germany, but it was so poignant and obvious from the Lord that that's what he was supposed to do. Hope you enjoy it.